Prasvati Deve, Gauravani Pacharne, Nirvasesis and Nivadi Paschachade Satarne. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Utapadakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavamshta. Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raganatam Bitam Stam Sajivam. Sadvoitam Sadvaditam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Bitamshta. Panchakalpa Trubhyas Chakrupa Sindhubhyeva Chapa Titanam Pavanavyo Vaishnavavyo Namo Namaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya November 20th, 2015, Skype class from Hilo, Hawaii, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 7, Further Inquiries by Vidura, Text 33. Sharasya cha vidim brahman, pitrinam sargam evacha, grahanakshatra taranam, kalavayavasam sitim. Shradhasya, of the periodical offerings of respects, vidim, regulations, brahman, O Brahmana, Pitrinam, of the forefathers, Sargam, creation, Eva, as, Cha, also, Graha, planetary system, Nakshatra, the stars, Taranam, Kala, time, Avayava, Duration, Samstitim, Situations. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. Please also explain the regulations for offering respects to the forefathers, the creation of the Pitriloka, the time schedule in the planets, stars, and luminaries, and their respective situations. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. The time durations of day and night, as well as months and years, are different in the different planets, stars, and luminaries. The higher planets, like the moon and Venus, have time measurements different from those of the Earth. It is said that six months of this planet Earth equal one day of the higher planets. In Bhagavad Gita, the duration of one day in Brahmaloka is measured to be 1,000 times the four yugas, or... 430,000 years multiplied by a thousand. There's some kind of a misprint here with this number. And the month and year in Brahmaloka are calculated in that measure. Shradhasya chavidim brahman pitrinam sargameva chagraha nakshatratadanam kalaivayava samsitim. Please also explain the regulations for offering respects to the forefathers the creation of the Pitraloka, the time schedule in the planets, stars, and luminaries, and their respective situations. So here, Vidura is asking about mysterious time. What is the workings of time? And he's also asking about offerings and regulations. So time is one of the main principles of our material existence. It's practically what defines material existence, and it's the beginning of material existence. When the Lord wants to awaken Maya, and when the Lord wants to take the Pradhan, the undifferentiated modes of material nature, and manifest them as goodness, passion, and ignorance, and all of the different bodies of the material world, he starts off by glancing at Maya to wake her up, and that glance to wake up the illusory energy is time. It's significant that time doesn't have any sense with which to perceive it. So we can perceive space with our ear and uh, light fire with with our eyes. We can perceive the air with touch, uh, the earth with uh, all of them together. Uh, But with time there's no sense organ that allows us to perceive time. Therefore, we don't really know what it is. We can see its effects. We can see that time changes things. And we don't, we don't really know 
what we're dealing with. When we talk about time, we're really talking about the movements and the changes of one thing in relation to something else. So the relation between the earth and the sun, the relation between the earth and the moon, between the sun and the moon, between the different movements of the planets, we measure this in different ways as time. We measure from the sunrise to again another sunrise as day and the changing of the seasons as a year. But again, we don't really know what we're dealing with. And therefore, as I've discussed in other classes on time, we use a lot of metaphors to describe time. We talk about time as if it was some sort of resource that we can spend our time, that we can borrow time, that we can waste time. We talk about uh, time as if it's an object coming towards us or as if we are going towards it when I come to that point in the future you know or when next year comes upon us and and things like that because we really don't know what it is at all and the main reason we don't know what it is is that it's the beginning of our illusion without time we would have no concept of being the doer that we are the doer of activities, that we are the master. Uh, So here we're going to look at the different kinds of time, the different measurements of time, and how our perceptions of time particularly, but our perceptions of anything, is dependent upon our perspective and our consciousness. The, The principle of filters and biases, which Raupad discusses here in the purport, and the nature of mysterious material time and the nature of mysterious spiritual time. So the principle of filters and biases is quite the opposite of what we were taught in primary elementary school as far as the scientific method. We were taught that the scientific method is that we're basically neutral, that we don't have, that we human beings don't have preconceived notions about what's, uh, what's happening in the world or the laws of nature, uh, what's right and wrong. And we take in uh, perceptions to our senses. We see things, we smell things, we touch, we taste, we, etc. And by taking in these things through our senses, prachaksha, we uh, then use our logic, anuman, to come up with generalizations oh, okay, I guess when, when you move like this, this happens. When, when this moves in this way, this happens. When this sounds like this, it means this. And if these generalizations hold true, then as an individual we come up with certain hypotheses about the way the world works. And then in the scientific method, because it's understood that we have an, in some sort of uh, individual imperfections of our senses, Therefore, we have other people also test these things, and if enough other people test the same thing under the same condition, then we've understood to have a scientific theory, and if it keeps holding up, we have a scientific law. But really, the way that the world works is quite different from that. Uh, Certainly, that principle also operates, that because of what we perceive with our senses, we therefore use our logic that we start with sense perception, then we come to logic, and then we come to understanding. But the world much more works in in quite a different way, although that principle does apply to some extent. And the way the world actually works, which the scientists themselves fully admit at higher levels, as I've said before, you know, once you get to the PhD level, then they admit to you what's really going on. You know, when you're at the, at the elementary level, uh, even at the undergraduate and master's level, then they, they don't tell you the real story. So the real story is explained actually in much more detail than the scientists can understand it in the Srimad Bhagavatam, and especially in the second, third, and eleventh cantos, as well as in parts of the Bhagavad Gita. And that is that we have particular desires And those particular desires attract a particular combination of the modes of material nature to cover us. And it's something like a person has a particular desire and therefore takes a particular intoxicant. You know, some people, they want to be intoxicated in the way marijuana intoxicates them. Another person wants to be intoxicated in the way alcohol intoxicates. It's a different kind of intoxicant. Right? There's stimulants, there's depressants, there's hallucinogens, and then there's 
all different varieties of those, and depending on the way in which people want their perception to be distorted, they take a particular intoxicant. Then once they take that intoxicant, everything they perceive is through this covered lens of that particular intoxicant. So it's very much like that in general in the material world. We want to have a particular kind of enjoyment. We want to have a, a particular taste. Prabhupada says in the preface to Nectar Devotion, everything's being motivated by taste, by what rasa we hope to enjoy. So we want to enjoy a particular kind of rasa. Therefore, we get a particular combination of the three modes of nature. And that combination acts as a filter through which we perceive reality. And, and first we have that. And then, then we have certain theories about the world, and then our sense perception fits into those theories. Uh, Judah Karman Sadaputa Prabhu really explained this in their book, Forbidden Archaeology, Hidden History of the Human Race. They call it the knowledge filter. That people decide, well, this is the way it is. And then everything they perceive has to fit into those theories. And such things operate not only at the level of evolution, they even operate in our own family, in our own society. As so many experiments have proven, if you tell somebody in advance, oh, you know, Johnny is, is like this and like this, then when they meet Johnny, they're going to filter his behavior through their preconceptions. And it will take a lot for them to change those original preconceptions. Well, they say our first impressions are formed within the first 10 seconds. I mean, in education, they know very well that if you tell a teacher, oh, this is a, a bad child, then the teacher will respond to them like that. And the child will be a bad child most of the time. And if you tell the teacher it's a good child, or if you tell the teacher this is, these are particularly smart children, they'll treat them differently. It, it's quite fascinating. You know, one of the uh, most measurable things is what we call wait time. So when a teacher asks a student a question, how long does the teacher wait for an answer? And if the teacher thinks that the child is not very intelligent, they don't wait very long. If they think that the child's more intelligent, they wait longer. And where does this come from? It comes from their, their original bias. Something happens that sets up that bias. So the principle here is operating with time. The way that some bug in our room that lives for 24-hour hours perceives time is very different from how a dog perceives time, which is very different from how a human perceives time, which is very different from how a demigod perceives time. Now, arguably, time is time. Time is a feature of the Lord, Kalosni. It's a feature of the Lord in his form as Lord Shiva, Prabhupada says, when, when Krishna says, I am time, I am. That's in his manifestation of Shiva, the destroyer. So time should be objective reality, but it's not perceived like that. It's perceived subjectively. And it's said elsewhere in the scripture that every living entity within this universe lives for a hundred of its years. But Lord Brahma's hundred years are perceived very differently by him. Just like on this earth planet, when I have an hour to do something, that's not a whole lot of time. But when Lord Brahma has an hour to do something, he understands it as an hour, but it takes much longer. He can do much more in his hour. Of course, again, we're not perceiving time directly with any of our senses. We're perceiving time as the movement of one thing related to something else. So time is very mysterious in that sense. You know, we can see it governs everything, whatever we do. The idea of my doing something now that has an effect in the future based on what I've learned in the past. My being able to affect something. I mix ingredients, I put them on the stove and they turn into something else. All of that is governed by time even our speaking, our thinking. It's all governed by time. But we don't know what it is, and we're not perceiving it accurately at all. You know, there's also, even on this earth planet, even not considering other planets, 
What about people who can see the future? There's well-documented cases of people who can perceive the future. What does that mean in terms of time? Does that mean that everything is already predestined down to the details? Does it already exist? Does past, present, and future all exist simultaneously? Nobody really knows. I mean, when Krishna showed the universal form to Arjuna, Arjuna did see past, present, and future all at one time. At the same time, we know that the future is malleable. When Prabhupada was asked, you know, if Krishna sees the future, then what about our free will? Prabhupada didn't even see, he he seemed to be um, amazed by this question. And he says, no, the future is always changing. He says, Krishna knows the future. He said, like you can know the future. And Prabhupada gave the example Right? This is in uh, a letter to Madhavisa Visa in 1970. He says, because Krishna knows everyone's future does not remove our free will, someone may commit a theft, and if I know that, then I know that he will be captured and punished. That is knowing the future. But knowing that future does not mean that he had no choice not to commit the criminal act. There are two destinies for everyone. One destiny is in Krishna consciousness, and the other destiny is in material consciousness. So if someone in Krishna consciousness, then Krishna knows his future, and if he's in material consciousness and acting in that way, then Krishna also knows his future. In this way, the free will is not affected by knowing the future of the living being. That is an erroneous conclusion. So this means our future is always changing, and as it's always changing, Krishna knows what it, what it is. Uh, lecture in Bhagavad Gita in 1966, Srila Prabhupada talked about the Brahmin and the cobbler, and that when Narada Muni asked the Lord in Vaikuntha how many more births the Brahmana would undergo before he could go back to home, back to Godhead, Prabhupada responds, oh, he has to remain, there's still so many births, I do not know when he is coming. One of the most interesting stories about time materially is coming from Chaitanya Bhagavat, and this is coming from the Madhyakanda chapter 2 and here Srivast Thakur is being harassed by the Muslims and Lord Chaitanya says, he says, news have reached me that the government men want to capture you and they've come with two boats. He says, I'm the super soul in everyone's heart thus I control and direct everyone's activities according to my sweet will. He says, the king can only capture you if I situated in his heart prompt him to do so. Yet, if for some reason he acts independently and gives the order to capture you, then I will be the first to step into the boat and present myself before the king. Upon seeing me, do you think he can remain seated from the throne? I will delude him, take control of him, and drag him down. Should this not happen, then I will tell the king, listen to the truth, O king. Call all of your religious heads and judges to the court. Order all your Kazi priests to read from your scripture and inspire the creatures to such a state of spiritual motion that they begin to cry. When his priests fail to do this, and I will remove my potency. I will say, O king, on the instructions of these same Kazi priests, you want to forbid the congregational chanting. Now you shall see my power, that I shall capture a mad elephant, bring him before the king along with other elephants, horses, deer, and other animals, and instantly make them all cry in ecstasy and chant Krishna's name. At that point, Lord Chaitanya uh, asks little Narayani to chant, and she immediately goes into ecstasy. Uh, so this is, is very interesting because Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is giving three different alternatives. Right? He's saying, well, I'll, I'll just talk a super soul in his heart and he won't be able to resist me if I'm super soul in his heart. He'll have to do what I tell him to do. And then he says, well, but maybe he won't listen to me. He says, okay, well, if he won't listen to me, then I'll go with you and I'll show my potency to the king. And then he'll stop. He says, but if that doesn't happen, then I'll challenge the king to a kind of spiritual duel. Ask your priests to put everyone in ecstasy and then I'll put even the mad elephant into ecstasy. So here it shows that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is saying, you know, look, I'm going to protect you. I know that to be a fact, but exactly how it's going to unfold uh, that will happen in various ways. 
So Krishna knows the future minute by minute as we make our decisions, as each of the billions of living entities make their decisions. Uh, Krishna knows the future as it is constantly changing. And yet people can see sometimes into the future. Some things appear to be fixed. I would compare it to some sorts of jail sentences are fixed. Uh, The judge can't change them. And others are uh, open to the desire of the particular judge. But what is exactly time? I mean, people talk about, can you travel through time? Of course, we have Balaram's father-in-law, who by traveling to the higher planets, and also King Indrajumna, who built the Temple of Jagannath, they traveled to the higher planets, and when they came back, much time had passed upon the earth. Uh, There's actually many stories like that in every culture of people who go to another dimension and come back on the earth much later, although we don't have any stories of people traveling backwards through time, but we do have stories of people traveling forward through time in that way. And then what about spiritual time? Spiritual time is even more inscrutable than material time because it's said many places that in the spiritual world time is conspicuous by its absence there, because there's no destruction one of the main ways that we can understand the passage of time is by change and destruction but Krishna says of the soul there is no change which by the way takes us into a very deep area of, this, of our eternal identity but in any case Krishna says that of the soul there's no, it doesn't change it always remains in its identity. Materially, uh, the identity of things is constantly changing. So I'm looking at a wooden chair, and that chair previously had an identity as a tree. Before it had the identity as a tree, it had the identity of soil and sunlight and water. And the soil itself is made up of the rotting bodies of, of plants and animals and so forth. So the identity of things, therefore we call this the world of names. But in the spiritual world, the identity of everything uh, does not change. Of course, a living entity can have more than one uh, form and identity in different leelas of the Lord. Uh, But in that sense, there's no past, present, or future, because there's no change. Nor are there movements of one body with another. As Krishna says, there's no need of sun or moon. If Krishna has a sun and a moon in Goloka Vrindavan, that is simply for pastime purposes. It is not for illumination, nor is it for marking the, the specific days and so forth. The Acharyas describe the ages of the residents of Vrindavan, and they're eternally a particular age. You know, 13 years, 4 months, and 2 and a half days, and that's how old they are uh, forever. So there's no movements of the planets, there's no disintegration. Everything's always the present. Everything's always the present. I mean, like Srila Prabhupada in, in Chaitanya Charitamrita Majalila 8.138 in talking about the difference between material pleasure and spiritual pleasure. He talks about how material pleasure, specifically he's talking about sexual pleasure, but material pleasure vanishes after a few moments, whereas spiritually... It's always enjoyed. It doesn't vanish. In fact, it's always expanding. Yet, at the same time, the scriptures describe, the acharyas describe, sequences of events which appear to us, and as we read these descriptions, as if there's something happening through time. We read in Brihad Bhagavatamrita, how Gopakumar is waiting at the gate of Vaikuntha and seeing people enter. Well, that means they're at one place at one time and then they move and then they're at another place at another time. In the descriptions of the kingdom of God, in the Bhagavatam, also the Lord is walking. He's moving from one place to another. His associates are walking. They're speaking. And if you're speaking, something is said at one moment and then something is said at another moment. Or all of the descriptions of Vrindavan, we have the Astakaliolila, we have the Eightfold Pastimes, which happen at different times of the day. 
So how is it that there's no past or future, that everything is always the present, and yet there seems to be a sequence of events, there seems to be some cause and effect. Uh, Rohini is cooking in the kitchen, the young gopis like Radharani are cooking in the kitchen. So they're and that seems to be a sequence of events and time and they're cooking and then people are eating and but there's no time so what does that mean does that mean that every every event is going on simultaneously every moment happening simultaneously eternal and everyone is expanded into unlimited form what does that mean i mean then we start getting into the realm of just wild speculation because just like even in this world, you know, my perception of time is covered by the particular modes of nature that's covering me according to my desires. So I, I don't perceive time the way a dog does, nor do I perceive time the way Indra does, because I have my particular covering. So how can I understand spiritual time? I, I can't. I mean, even if you read accounts of people who have, you know, out-of-body, near-death experiences... Many of them will talk about how there's no time, and yet they explain sequences of events at the same time, saying that there's no time. They also experience, generally, that their out-of-body experience will last for you know days or weeks or months, whereas they're only clinically dead for 30 minutes. I mean, we even have this sort of experience in our dreams that I can have a dream that goes on for a week, even if I've only slept for 10 minutes in earth time. But what particularly I note about people who have near-death experiences is they have a sense of time being absent. And, at this, and also, <laughs> they're explaining sequences of events. So how do we put those two things together? I find it also significant that anyone can even have a perception of time being absent. Because, again, we don't have a sense to perceive time. So if someone says, well, you know, I, had this, I was clinically dead and I went to another realm and there was no time. And how did they know that? What was the, the way that they were able to perceive that there's no time? So to try to understand this spiritual through our present lens uh, within the material body is, is really impossible. The only way that we can understand, really understand, I mean, I don't know if we ever really understand, maybe only Krishna really understands, but the only way we can, we can understand about the, the movements of time, even though Vidura is asking Maitreya, please explain it to me and we can talk about it and we have the chapter in the Bhagavatam, movements of time by the atom and all these chapters on the movements of the planets and the stars, is to change our consciousness. In fact, that's really the only way we're going to understand anything. If we keep our, our particular covering of consciousness and try to understand everything by using our mind and our intelligence and our senses, what we understand is distorted. Now, it's not to say that we don't use our mind, intelligence, and senses. We do. But we use our mind, intelligence, and senses in bhakti, manmana bhavamad bhakto, to uncover our consciousness, to change our desires, which then uncovers our consciousness. And then we have what we in the Hare Krishna movement call realizations, what the Christians call an epiphany, where all of a sudden we say, oh, <laughs> because some of the cloud has been removed as the modes of passion, ignorance particularly, but even goodness become removed, then we perceive things as they are. And again, it's not that the mind, intelligence, and senses are not involved in that. Certainly they are. It, uh, we use our mind, intelligence, and senses according to our present level of consciousness to try to understand the Shastra and so forth, which then uncovers our consciousness so that we can practically understand. When Krishna talks about the process of knowledge, in the 13th chapter, text 8 through 12. What he talks about is coming to a higher level of consciousness. He's talking about living a life in sattva-gun, and he's talking about living a life in bhakti-yoga, where we really perceive things as they are. And without perceiving things as they are, all of our decisions 
will lead results that we don't like. Like Prahlad Maharaj says, the cure is worse than the disease. And we find this on a societal level, where the politicians, the psychologists, the sociologists, as Prabhupada would say, the planning commissions, they make all kinds of decisions, and the result is not what they anticipate. They don't understand. How do we, we call it unintended consequences? How is it that I do this thing and do, and this is a different route? Because they can't see clearly. They can't perceive clearly. They're perceiving through their distorted lenses. A, a little just side note to make here is about the grahas, the nakshatras, and taranam. Grahas, the planets, nakshatra, are particular uh, combinations of stars. Something like the constellations and Tara are the stars in general. And this verse speaks about, refers to a whole science of understanding astronomy and astrology. Uh, one devotee has written a book on the nakshatras, that each of the nakshatras is associated with a particular uh, symbol and a particular demigod and indicates a lot of the nature in a person's astrological chart, indicates a lot of the nature of a person. In modern Western astrology, they don't reference the nakshatras. They reference just the grahas, the planetary systems, but they don't talk about the nakshatras themselves. A lot of Vedic astrologers look at the nakshatras as parts of the different main constellation, Aries, Taurus, etc., but they, they are dividing those up further into subcategories which are called the nakshatras. And that's that's a gross way of doing it. There's also more subtle ways of doing it. And the nakshatras are much more indicative of our nature and our destiny than just the main signs or the houses. And for example, if you're going to figure out marriage compatibility, which is one of the main uses for astrology, between two people, one of the main things you look at is the nakshatra in which the moon is in, so not just the sign in the house, but also the nakshatra. Uh, so that's just another little note. Um, I think Prabhupada's talking here mostly about time, so we focused on that. But one could also talk about the vidis and the pitrinam, the rules for the forefathers, as Vidras in this verse. What are the regulations? for offering respects to our forefathers. So we don't do this much in most of the world anymore, but still in many traditional societies, particularly in East Asia, China, Korea, Japan, uh, Indonesia, and many of these countries, it's very much part of the tradition of offer, of having rules of offering respects to the ancestors. And one of the reasons for this is that in certain planets like Pitriloka, there, a person can go and still keep a connection with their earth family. And a, a lot of times, many of the, you know, even the Muslims, the Christians, the Jews, who don't have ancestor worship as such, uh, to, at least not to that extent. I mean, I know the Jews have one day a year where you make an offering to your departed relatives as well as on the anniversary day of their death. They have some kind of ritual. But people who are very, very attached to their family they get to go to a higher planet where they still have some connection with their family and where the pious activities of their family help to keep them in heaven, in that particular heaven. So they have an investment in having good progeny. And the families have a motivation to keep the family uh, virtuous because if they keep the family virtuous, the ancestors get to stay in heaven. It's, it's kind of like when some, a family member is in a foreign country and they're not earning any money in that country, but you're earning money and you're depositing it in that account. So this is the situation with that. It's not the situation with all the heavenly planets, but it's the situation with this particularly heavenly planet, and probably a few of the planets, and it's especially for those who are very attached to their Earth family, who aren't really ready to move on uh, to another sphere. So getting back to the main point that, about time and our perceptions of time, what we want to do is we want to remove our filters. We want to change our consciousness. And we should notice whether or not my consciousness is changing. Am I perceiving things differently? When I first started practicing bhakti yoga and living in an ISKCON ashram, one of the first things I noticed was that my perceptions of the world were changing. 
that how I understood and analyzed my behavior and the behavior of others uh, became quite different. And I could see things and, and understand things that I couldn't understand before. Especially I could understand a lot of what motivated myself and what motivated other people. What were the driving factors in the world? So this was after just like a week of staying in the temple and chanting Hare Krishna. So we should notice whether or not our perceptions are changing. Are we realizing Krishna more and more? Are we realizing the nature of the material world? Are we understanding ourselves more and more? Are we getting more and more subtle and and fine shukshma uh, understandings? So thank you very much. I'm going to unplug this first class microphone because otherwise my speaker's not working. Uh, Sorry, that will distort things a little bit. Uh, My apologies. Uh, Take any questions or comments. I have a question. Yes. So, Mother Ermila, can you hear us? I can hear you fine as soon as I unplug the mic. I'll have one of my techies look at it, hopefully before Monday, figure it out. Um, I'm sure everyone has lots of questions. Uh, maybe I can get one in real quick here. Um, you said that Brahma's uh, understands his one hour differently. Does he perceive his one hour as we perceive? Our one hour, in other words, the duration of an hour is pretty darn quick. No, uh, his hour is very long, but still, just like it's explained, he was listening to a musical performance of some Gandharvas that took 20 minutes of his time. And in that period of time, many yuga cycles had passed on Earth. But he didn't experience it as we would experience for 20 minutes. His 20 minutes went on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But it's not that he has to have a meal every two seconds. You know, let's put it this way. He can get a lot more done in an hour than we can. And if 100 years passes, that seems like a long time for us. So an hour is not doesn't seem like a very long time for us. Although actually, when you look back in your life, it seems like it all went by very fast. So Brahma, when he's experiencing his one hour as millions and billions of years, will his perception be billions of years? Well, yes. But see, an hour, one of his hours relative to his whole life is exactly the same as one of our hours relative to our whole life. So the relative experience is the same, but the absolute experience is different. Okay, okay, that sounds interesting. Because it's still the same percentage. Okay. But what it abs- but it's a it's a percentage of something that's much greater. Mm-hmm. You know, if I eat a fourth of a cupcake or I eat a fourth of a cake, it's quite different. But I'm still eating a fourth. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what would be the use of having longer time spans on the higher planets? What would it matter if your perception of them was exactly the same as our perception of time here? How would it be an advantage? I see. Okay. So, you know, it just just like here, we're eating something delicious, but the meal's over in 20 minutes. You know, you don't get to enjoy that pizza or that samosa for a very long time. It's, it's over. So they have a 20-minute meal, but they're enjoying their meal for a long time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Therefore, Prabhupada says that the sense enjoyment of Indra is thousands of times greater than that on this earth planet. And one reason is that the duration of everything lasts longer. Another reason is the quality, of course, is is greater. Now, the kind of enjoyment isn't actually any better. You know, like we say, food put in a gold pot or an iron pot or whatever, 
it's still just the senses and mind interacting with their objects. It's still an illusion. So the actual kind of sense and mental enjoyment that's available in the material world, it's basically the same thing. It's just the interaction of the modes of material nature. But the, um, the ability of the senses to interact with their objects is greater and the duration of time with which they can do that is greater. You know, as, as far as the depth of perception, just like we can only perceive a certain amount, certain kinds of light and certain sounds. and If we had senses that could perceive more things, then we could have more pleasure. So the higher entities, their senses are finer, more subtle. They can perceive more things than we can, and they can pull out the duration for which they perceive them. But it's still all essentially the same business. Is that okay? Yes, yes. I have another question, but I'll wait. In in regard to time. Okay. I'll wait. Sometime. <laughs> Somebody else? I have a question. Yes. Yeah. Um, you were mentioning about the consciousness and going through a kind of transformation which will allow us to see things as they are. Yes. So the question is, is for some devotees they come and already very fast they see things from another perspective, although to some degree everyone goes through this in terms of we don't see meals the same way we saw before, we lose completely the attract, attraction towards eating things which is not preserved. But I'm talking about more fine uh, kind of consciousness to see the reality, you know. So that change of consciousness is tuned like, for instance, like a camera, you know, when a, a photographer is trying to take a photo, uh, when he's... Um, I don't know the words in English, uh, trying to focus the camera, the image goes, becomes blurred, and so at times very clear, and then blurred again. So is the consciousness also going like this? or Definitely. Don't we experience that? Yes. So it, it's depending on what stage we're on in Krishna consciousness. So if we're at anista sadhana bhakti, if we're at, at unsteady sadhana bhakti, then we get glimpses of higher consciousness. We don't stay there. You know, it's kind of like when it's a partially cloudy day and sometimes it's sunny and sometimes it's cloudy. And in Anista Sadhana Bhakti, it's, it's mostly cloudy with some glimpses of sunlight. Once one comes to Nista, then there's a steady amount of, of, of light there's still glimpses of higher consciousness, but when you lose the glimpse, you you still get at a, a place where there's not darkness anymore. The darkness doesn't cover you anymore. And I think as you started to ask the question, why do some people go faster? That depends on our previous life's advancement in Krishna consciousness, and it also depends, sorry to say, on the intensity and purity of our desire at the present time also some people seem to get stuck on a plateau for a long time you know they just stay at a particular level of consciousness and they'll they'll perform bhakti in a mechanical way and, and it doesn't really do very much so this, this, it is a very individual thing but these, these glimpses of a higher consciousness are mostly to entice us to move forward. You know, and many times these glimpses of a higher consciousness, I mean, why do we get them? We get them sometimes just out of pure mercy. Just like you go to a shop and they give you, you know, they're trying to sell some food and they give you a little tiny cup to taste it in. 
And that's just their, you know, of course they're doing that because they want you to buy. So Krishna wants us to buy prema, so he gives us a little taste. Sometimes it's by the association of another devotee. You know, we're, we're with some devotee and we see that they're inspired and we think, oh, I, I like that. I mean, I was watching the the children do a dance for Govardhan Puja about circumambulating Govardhan Hill, you know, and I had a moment where I thought, oh, I'd like to be in that pastime. I'd like to be in the spiritual world. That looks like it's so much fun. I'd, I'd like to do that. So, you know, we, we have those glimpses. We read something in the Shastra and we think, wow, I, I, I wish I, I had that. I wish that I could be like that. And those desires, Krishna responds to those desires. And as soon as we have those sorts of desires, there's some clearing in our ability to perceive things. Then it's up to us to then nurture those desires so that it becomes more and more part of our total reality. Is that okay? Yes. Thank you. Hi, Bo. Hi, Krishna. I, I had trouble with my other computer, so I'm on the new other one. Hey, yeah, that was a fascinating uh, theme you chose. Material time is past, present, and future. Bhakti Vinod Thakur, he writes in one line of one poem, Forget the past. That sleeps and ne'er the future dream at all, but bear with times that are with thee. But act in times that are with thee, and in progress you shall call. So, of course, we can all perceive time uh, by seeing how things are changing and coming and going, flowers, um, higher living entities, uh, aging, dying, and monthly cycles. So we can understand we're under the same process. And um, there's a saying, uh, time flies when you're having fun or the flip side of that is oh Govinda feeling your separation I'm considering a moment to be like 12 years or more so certainly there's broad range of perception with time but uh, all there is some people point out and devotees also all there is is the present so today's the first day of the rest of our lives Prabhupada said um, most people don't understand the value of time. You, you would say you can't buy back a minute. So the idea with time is we want to utilize every moment uh, in developing our Krishna consciousness because there's no guarantees and there's no, uh, we don't know how much time we have left. Thank you. Hmm. Very sobering. There was a, someone once told me that um, in the Brahma Samhita, I think it was text two, that uh, Lord Shiva, who is one of the protectors of the Vrindavan or the different directions, that he has a trident, and his trident is past, present, and future. Hmm, that's interesting. So I was just going to look it up. I just started the, my search for that, but that's the way I remember it because I know what Jim's wife, she's got a trident, which is the threefold miseries, but the trident of past, present, and future so just takes you a minute to wrap your mind around it. Hmm. Just He's protecting Vrindavan. What's it, Gopish? Or is it, how do you say Lord Shiva's name when he protects the, uh, Vrindavan? Yeah, well, actually, there's um, many different forms of Lord Shiva. Just like in Radhakund, there's four deities of Lord Shiva in the four directions that they each are protecting Radhakund, and each of them have a different name. If I could ask another question about time. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, what I understood, the way you explained it, is that the future is not fixed because we have free will. So, therefore, if you make a certain choice, it's going to change uh, the events in the future. Yeah. So, 
but if you once the choices are made then those uh, higher beings can understand what the repercussions are so therefore they can understand the future correct okay that's a very interesting way to look at it okay you know when I was trying to understand I was thinking of it as a GPS when you make a turn, if you're, it's not the one that you're supposed to make. The GPS says repositioning, relocating. It gives you a new direction, how to go. So at every moment, each turn we're making, we're getting redirected. We get another redirection. Yes, it's, it's that's a time. very, that's a very good analogy. Of course, with the GPS, you're always still going to the same destination. You're just getting there in a different way. But your experiences will be different. Well, in one sense, in one sense, we're going one place. Where they used to say by going way of China, but I don't know if they use that saying anymore. <laughs> but I think it, it says everybody's going to go back to Godhead, except maybe Mr. Nair. <laughs> well, there Prabhupada was talking about um, the, the devotees. I don't think he was talking about all living entities. I, I, I'm sorry, I, couldn't f- I can't find it quickly, but there was this... I just recently was reading something about how it's not that everybody is going. It depends on the individual person. I just looked up Trident in Brahma Samhita, and I can't find it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I thought it was text too. But I'm gonna I don't see to it go. there. All right. Yeah, look, I, I'm starting my search too. Anyway, I, I don't. I don't see it. Mother Damayanti, did you want to make a comment or a question? Otherwise, I had one more. Well, just some observation on the about the memory and time and the brain connection. It seems like uh, we should be able to be independent of the brain, but if it's damaged, then the ability to understand time disappears, like with dementia. Hmm. Well, of course, we can understand things independent of our brain. We have that capacity. But as long as we are identifying with the body, we can't. It, 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 the body is a... How would you put it? It's just like if you put um, a blindfold over your eyes, you can't see. You can still see. You still have the ability to see. It's not that you become literally blind. Gantari didn't become literally blind by blindfolding her eyes. Her eyes still functioned. However, she wasn't able to use that function because she had covered them. So the mind is independent of the brain. The mind can function without the brain. Completely. Otherwise, how is it with the people who have these near-death experiences where their, their brain has ceased to function, their body is dead, and yet they're functioning, they're thinking, they're perceiving... They're perceiving with their subtle senses and with the mind. And sometimes when they come back to their body, they retain some of that higher consciousness, but generally they don't. As soon as they become covered by the body, then again, it has a filter of a particular kind of modes, and everything gets filtered through that again, and they they can't perceive things anymore. Now, it's possible within the body through various kinds of of yoga and various kinds of spiritual practices to develop a consciousness that's independent of the body. Um, What was her name? In Scotland, the one who died of a brain tumor. And there was that book her husband wrote, Simple for the Simple. So she got to a point where the tumor was pressing on the optic nerve and she couldn't see. But she could sometimes see things. She would describe the, what they were offering to the deities and what the, how the deities were dressed, even though she had 
no physical sight. So this is, you know, we're, we're not dependent on the body. But we're, we're imprisoned. Now, how do we get out of that? You know, the, some of the yogas are mechanical systems. The, if you just change your sitting posture and your breathing and your level of mental concentration, then you can change your perception. Although most people don't have the discipline to do that at the present age. We're trying to change our perception in bhakti yoga by getting to the root of the whole problem of why we have a material body. Here I see Damianti saying, so having much to do with, she says, what is it here in the chat? She says, when someone gets dementia, the ability to understand time. Uh, you're writing this, so having much to do with the mind's ability of memory. Yeah, it's, it's not really the brain that's doing those things. The brain is it's just, just like uh, another simple example is I'm having this class through a computer. So my computer speakers and mic weren't functioning very well. And, and so if I had that mic plugged in, I couldn't hear anybody. I had to unplug that mic to hear anybody. But my ears work. <laughs> it's just I couldn't hear you through the computer anymore. And it's not that the computer is hearing anything. The computer has no consciousness. It's not hearing anything. So if I'm having a phone conversation via my computer, my ability to speak to you in, you know, South Africa or whatever, it's dependent on the computer. But my ability to hear is not dependent on the computer. So it's the same way that someone who has dementia, their their ability to function with others in the world through that body is compromised. And if they don't have any higher awareness, then that's all there is. If they have a higher awareness, then no matter how the, the brain and the body are compromised, it doesn't matter to them at all. I mean, when people are, are actually liberated... They don't experience the three states of waking, dreaming, and deep sleep the way a conditioned soul does. At all. The, the, the brain goes through those different cycles, but the entity doesn't act in that way at all. And their, their consciousness and their awareness of what the brain is doing is, is completely changed. Somebody else? We could take one more. Mahalakshmi, you want to Jay has a question? Okay, yes, Mahalakshmi. Um, you mentioned about devotees coming from uh, from uh, that have bhakti from other lives. They arrive to Krishna consciousness having already performed bhakti in previous lives. So if one would have not, then what is, uh, is that the mercy? What is going to bring them into bhakti, although doing the... Well, well, everybody has to start at some point. Yeah. So generally, a person doesn't become very serious and take initiation uh, in their first life's exposure to bhakti. Generally. Generally, there's many lifetimes of piling up a gyata sukriti before one is receptive enough. And we see even people who come in this life, a lot of them stay, you know, they're, I know people who've gone 30, 40 years and they don't take initiation and they don't take up the process seriously. Or they take initiation and, you know, three months later they're not following so that, that's our perception even in this life that not everybody is very serious. So if you're saying what would cause a person to in one life start Krishna consciousness and be so serious that they finish everything in that life, that's their individual determination and sincerity. It's always mercy. There's always mercy. There's always this combination of our endeavor and mercy but it's not that one person gets more mercy than another. It's just not like that. 
know, it just it just isn't. Krishna is equal to everybody. And even if apparently you could say some people get more mercy, so what they do with it? I mean, if you look at Krishna, Krishna's leelas, why are there demons? Why why do demons try to kill Krishna? You know, they're they're seeing God face to face. They're not taking advantage of that mercy. But anybody at any Krishna is there for everyone. And it's it's a measure of our sincerity. It's a measure of our desire. As soon as a living entity has some desire, Krishna will reciprocate by giving them an opportunity. And especially as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, they're giving opportunities even to people who haven't displayed any desire. They're just giving it, you know, without discrimination to everybody. It's a flood where everything gets flooded. But even then, it's a question of how the living entity responds. You know, we're, we're taking the Hare Krishna mantra out to the street and singing it to everyone, but still different people respond differently. You know, Lord Jagannath also goes out to the public. So they're generally the the mercy is a response to the living entity. I mean, the way Vishnu Chagavati Thakur describes it, he says, the devotees of the Lord, uh, they go and give Krishna consciousness, of course, Lord Chaitanya, Lord Nityananda, and the Muda devotees, they're just giving opportunities for Krishna consciousness to everyone. And then the Lord's mercy is following the mercy of the devotee. But the devotee is not discriminatory or prejudiced. And then it's up to us to respond. So it's this, this whole system seems to be initiated with mercy of the devotees. That seems to be the initiating as in beginning factor, what sets, every, what sets into motion for a jiva to come to enlightenment seems to be the desire of the devotees to bring people back to the Lord and the preaching and the teaching of the devotees. But from there, there has to be some answering call from the, from the soul. Some response. Even, even a Gyata Sukriti is some response from the jiva. What do you mean about some response? Well, so there's, there's a pure devotee going to walk into a building and somebody opens the door for them to enter the building. Mm. Or I had a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses come by the other day. And I said, you know, I'm a member of the, of the Hare Krishna movement. And there were two women. One of them said Hare Krishna several times. The other one didn't say it once. <laughs> you know, one of the women was, what, what's the name of your religion again? Hi, Kish Krishna? He said, no, Hare Krishna. Oh, Hare Krishna. And the other one didn't. So one person had more of a response than the other. That it ultimately depends how do we respond to the mercy, and how we respond to the mercy determines do we progress, how fast we progress. And as we respond, we become, shall we say, we become aware more and more of the mercy that's already there. You could say it's being given, but it's in a sense it's already there. If we're going, you know, past the concept of time, it's not exactly that I do something that then invokes, Krishna says, I'm going to give you more. We could explain it like that. Like Prabhupada says, Krishna is very responsive. Yeyatamam prapadyante. I mean, like you're a mother, so how much you give to your children depends on how they receive it. Yeah. And your different children receive things very differently. Yeah. You know, or I, I mean, I had a, a simple instance with some of my grandkids in the last few months. We went to the library, and one of them had a lot of charges on her library card for past due books and things like that. 
And I said, well, I'll pay for it, and then you pay me back. And it took her weeks and weeks and weeks to pay me back, and I had to bug her over and over again. And, you know, she was not polite about it at all. And I said, I'm not going to lend you money again for a long time. So the, the, you know, but my feeling of giving to my children and grandchildren is always there. It's not that it's ever not there, but how they how how they respond, how they act, is it either invokes it or it doesn't invoke it, or you could say it makes them aware of it. So Krishna's mercy is all around us, all the time, within us. There's one quote. I don't know if I can let me see if I can find it quickly. That's always the advantages of giving class on my computer. But there's um, yes, here it is. This is some electro electro nectar devotion, 1972. Prabhupada's talking about utsahandarya. He says, by patience, not that I am working so hard for Krishna, but I'm not getting any impetus. No, don't be impatient. Krishna will give you chance. He's giving chance always, 24 hours, imperceptibly, but we cannot appreciate very much. Krishna sees, as far as we are able, according to our strength, he gives responsibility, but we must be. Rest assured, when we have taken shelter of the lotus feet of Krishna fully, without any reservation, Krishna must be pleased. Maybe it will take some time. This is called Nitsayat Certainty Assurance. So here Prabhupada is saying, Krishna is giving a chance always 24 hours a day imperceptibly, but we don't appreciate very much. It's very much like that. That we're surrounded with mercy constantly. <laughs> that we could just take and, 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 and use, if, I, I don't want to use the word use, but we could respond to. Okay, thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai.